0: Hey everyone, welcome to another podcast of these present days. Let's open in prayer. Father, thank you for helping us. Oh, do we need help? Helping us. Read the days and the times and the seasons that we're in. Helping us to be ready for them before they hit. Helping us to be prepared to be used by you in ways that we haven't ever seen before. And helping us right now to hear what you have to say to us to get us ready for all that I've mentioned in the name of Jesus I pray, amen. So the title of this one is, What Happens Next? Or another way of putting it, watch what happens next. Or look out for what happens next. It's about what's gonna happen next. We've had a lot of things going on in the last couple of years, as you all know. In the world, the big bad world, in the church, The church hasn't been behaving like the church um, that she's supposed to be, the bride of Christ that he's coming for. Um, Most likely because the church, by and large, hasn't been crafted and carefully put together uh, by the Holy Spirit, getting an opportunity to take the gifts and callings and anointings and inspirations that he's given to people and to put them together to where they're working side by side with other people and the church is the living organism that we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to be just going to church and punching the clock. We are the church. The church that the world's been waiting to really see because uh, we call ourselves the church. We go to the church. We invite people to come and meet us at the church. We hope people will get saved at the church and maybe even healed at the church. Mm. But I don't see that anywhere in the Bible where Jesus said, go and compel them to come to the temple because if they come to the temple, they're going to get saved. They're going to get healed. If they come to the temple, they're going to get all they need in life. Mm -mm. So one of our favorite things about movies, and I like movies. I love going to movies. I love going to a lot of movies. I got into it years ago and I, very carefully have to select the movies that I I go and see because there's gateways that the enemy tries to hit us with in our eye gates and our ear gates and even how it makes us feel so one thing about movies is when we see characters go from lowly or ignorant or simple or maybe just pure um, and by way of a struggle and some turmoil and a little pinch of perseverance, They ascend to a mature, grounded, or changed position. Whether they get a reward or they just survive, we're pulling for them. We believe in them. If it's a really good actor or actress, they have sold us on the part that they're playing. And that's what we pay money for because we want to be invested in them. We want them to succeed and therefore we ultimately want to walk away From that movie, feeling hopeful and full of expectations for our own lives. Then there are the movies, sometimes sequels, that show what comes next. What happened after they won the fight, or they got the girl, or they lived happily ever after. We want to know the afterlife, and not necessarily right up front and then work your way backwards, but we want to know the afterlife. just. To be just as exciting as the adventures and hope and hope-filled journey that they are taking to get to the afterlife. Unfortunately, as they say, those sequels are never as good as the original. This isn't the fault of our hero or heroine. This is our own doing, or undoing. There's us trying to manufacture moments that should never happened, should never have happened in the first place. Yet, for some miraculous reason. They did happen for those of us following Jesus. This very same scenario can lead to a letdown if we don't watch out for what comes next. Our life of faith can look a lot like the plot of a movie. When we begin on our journey, we think we know some things and we get hit, attacked, we feel foolish, we feel like throwing in the towel, we have moments of doubt, and it can really look like We were wrong all along, but just as it says in the book of Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 by the Apostle Paul, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap harvest if we do not give up. So many times we bail out, we give up, we quit. So many times we misread that God was really in it, even though it doesn't look like it, it doesn't feel like it. Where is it written in the Bible where it's got to feel like God is there, or it's got to look like God is there? Where is the trust in that? Because after all, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter three, we are to trust the Lord with all of our heart, leaning not to our own understanding, in all of our ways, acknowledging him, and he's going to direct our path. And sometimes he directs it right straight into the weeds and the thorns. Mm. We unbelievably don't give up, and it feels like it's an unbelievable thing because we were so sure that we were done, that we could stick a fork in it. We're, we're so it's over. We, we're not taking any more of this. We're gonna we're gonna bail out. We're gonna do something else. Um, we're not giving up on God necessarily, but we took the wrong road here, Mac. But unbelievably, we don't give up. Unbelievably, we don't give up. And when you don't give up. You actually put yourself in a position to one day soon, and hopefully the sooner the better, the way we feel, one day soon we're going to see what comes next. And we know what comes next has got to be a whole lot better than what's going on now. Maybe that'll be the next title. What's going on now? (laughs) Maybe we should have started with that. Anyway, so... If we don't give up, we find that we are growing in strength and knowledge and insight and wisdom. We stand our ground and then we keep standing. Through the trust and the grit, we finally get to a place where there isn't a single thing anymore that can tell us or convince us otherwise. In other words, we've been through so much. You might have post-traumatic stress disorder a little bit maybe a lot, trying to tell you that you're on the wrong path or it ain't worth it and things like this. But the grit of the spirit on the inside of us just won't give up. We got to trust that instinct. And sometimes that instinct is so buried under a whole barrage of bad experiences and seemingly we have missed the mark or the point or God's not here, he can't be found, I can't smell him, I can't see him, I can't taste him, I can't touch him, I can't hear him. And you know what, there's a scripture in the Bible, in Ephesians chapter six, when it says, having done all to stand, stand therefore. And then it says putting on the armor of God, the full armor, the the helmet, the breastplate, the belt, of truth that holds all of the scabbers and swords, and you have sh- you have on a shin guards on your legs, and the- and the feet are pr- prepared with the gospel of peace, which is your footing. And it says before that, having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having done all to stand, just stand. Having done all to stand, it doesn't say raise the flag, it doesn't say beat your chest and claim victory, having done all to stand, what does that mean having done all to stand? Have you done all to stand? Have you prepared yourself to stand? Have you psyched yourself up to make the stand that you need to make? Have you toughened your mind up enough to know that you're not gonna cave, that you're gonna stand? If you haven't, you haven't done all to stand. But once you've done all to stand, that's where you've taken in all the encouragement from God. That's where you recognize and realize what goes into the ingredients of making advances in a dark, fallen world. This, this can be an ugly place, a lonely place. That having done all that you know how to do, that the scriptures tell you to do, that you've spoken in the name of Jesus, that you've prayed to the Father in the name of Jesus, that you've spoken in the language of the Holy Spirit to build yourself up, that you've got key scriptures you're standing on and you're going to make a, a case or a statement, a, a legal um, writ out of it that you're going to put in the face of the enemy. Um, having that all to make the stand, well, then make the stand. Don't run off of the table. Make the stand. And sometimes when you're just making the stand, it doesn't seem like you're doing enough. Sometimes when you're making the stand, it seems like you got yourself all geared up to go forward and make a charge and just throw your life to the wind on the battlefield. (laughs) But it didn't say that because we're all geared up. It's harder to stand still when nothing's happening than it is to start taking a sword and swiping the air, trying to hit something that you can't see, yelling and screaming at, a, at an enemy that's invisible, or even when you're praying to God and you're upset with God and you're yelling and screaming, and God can take that. And you're kicking at everything. And all God says in cases like that, if you listen closely, is be still and know that I'm God. Lean into me and know that I'm right here. Because you see, that all that nervous energy that we whip up trying to make the boogeyman go away, trying to come out victoriously and, and uh, whistle through the graveyard, so to speak, is a waste of energy. You see, nothing's going to get up in that graveyard to hurt you. Nothing. And especially if you buried yourself there, you got nothing to lose. <laughs> If you come to the conclusion that my life is hidden in Christ, I died with Him and I was raised from the dead with Him, and I can only live by the faith I put into Him. Mm. Because I'm a dead man walking. And so we look back at times to where our understanding was at the start of the journey, and it is truly like we were in another place in time, regardless of how long it's been. We We made it to another level of understanding because we have lived through it and not only survived, but conquered. (laughs) It's almost like an out of body experience. You know, you look back and go, Did I really go through that? You know, and you look back and it's been like months and months, and it just seems like yesterday. Really? I've been at this that long? I've been fighting and standing my ground that long? But when you're in the middle of it, And your eyes are on the wrong thing. It seems like it's been going on a hundred years when it's only been a week. You see, Romans 8.37 says this, But in all these things we are overwhelmingly conquering through Him who loved us. After we really made that progress that I just spoke of, and we are more confident than ever, but we haven't quite had that which we have been holding steady for. In other words, we haven't even got a taste or a smell of it yet. The question begins to burn within us. What happens next? Doesn't that sound like the title of this? I think so. John chapter three and verse 30. John the Baptist really didn't need anybody to come and tap him on the shoulder and say, listen, (laughs) Jesus has got this dance. Why don't you go sit on the sidelines? You know, like when people used to dance on the dance floor and and they did, they partner up and stuff and then somebody come and tap one of them on the shoulder, you know, the guy on the shoulder and say, I got this. And and it was polite to let him have it. It was polite society to give way and just let him dance with the girl now because he waited his turn and you can do the same thing once you take your seat on the sideline and you look over the floor and you see somebody that you'd like to dance with and they're dancing with somebody else. The polite society would let that cut that you make, you're cutting in, let that cut go and it was just a way of just showing interest in, in people and a way of guys courting girls from a distance, so to speak. And So John the Baptist, from a distance, is watching this Jesus guy. That turns out to be his cousin, his distant cousin but his cousin, nevertheless, and he knows that, he realizes that, but he also recognizes something because he's prophetic. That that guy that's come back from the desert, that guy that was there for 40 days and 40 nights that I baptized in the Jordan River, that guy, my cousin Jesus, or Jesus, the Spanish would say, or Yeshua, the Hebrew would say, that guy has got to increase and I've got to decrease. I've got to give way to him. I've got to get out of his way. And so it says in the Passion Translation, John 3.30, so it's necessary for him to increase and for me to be diminished. And see, he took the background, he took a seat. John's words in this particular scripture turns out to be the point of everything. Every single faith pioneer from the Old Testament to the New Testament all went through on incremental steps through events that had incredible miracles interwoven. Yes, but all of them became diminished in order for God to be God every step of the way. This is not the byproduct of a promised, or of a promise fulfilled, a promise fulfilled completion is a byproduct of God actually becoming our source for all things. And Matthew 6, 33 says, so above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him, that all these less important things will be given you abundantly. Well, what's less important? Everything else, everything else, that we think are so important, so vital, that we let crowd and elbow Jesus out of the way, they are all less. You see, this word all, back when some of us were growing up, it actually used to mean, that's everything. There is nothing more you can add to it. All included everything. And so it's it's describing things that we are after, the promises of God, what he going to provide for us, as this translation I just read puts it, it's the less important things, which of course includes whatever it is that we've taken a step of faith towards on that murky water to obtain. And so we get caught up and we start obsessing lots of times over the things that we're trying to obtain when the person that's greater than all the things obtainable, the person that makes it all possible to have something to obtain, (laughs) is the greatest of all. And he's not playing hide and seek from us. He's not distancing himself. He is waiting on us to take our steps on that water out of the boat of all the things we trusted in before, and we're taking steps towards Him, and He's walking towards us. See, over the past few years, we've seen a steady stream of high-profile Christian leaders and or churches experiencing various meltdowns. I don't need to list every single fracture that has happened because the specifics aren't the point. The point of each news break, no matter the circumstances surrounding, is that John's simple proclamation has been landing on deaf ears. See, in faith and in life, the only way that we'll be able to see the completion of that which God is accomplishing is for us to fade away so that the Jesus in us becomes the only thing visible. I mean, this is the goal. This is the real and only target we should aim for diminishment on our part and maximization on his part. And there's an art form to getting out of Jesus' way. But the church as a corporation, as an organization, and that's the way I'm putting it right now, because the church was called by God, because the word church is the word ecclesia. Ecclesia means called out from. Called out from what? From darkness into light, from death into life. We are the called out ones. The building isn't the church. The denomination isn't the church. The branding isn't the church. The church is the people that God saved, that the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are supposed to be training and equipping and preparing for the increase of the body of Christ, for all of them being equipped for the work of the ministry. What's the ministry? The ministry is representing God. The ministry is getting out of God's way. The ministry is letting people see Jesus and being drawn to him. It was said of Jesus himself to his disciples, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Well, what are we doing lifting up all these other things? Didn't we get that the first time we heard that? I mean, that's simple. If he be lifted up. Like I said before, Moses, he did miracles in the Bible. Elijah did a lot of miracles in the Bible. All these guys doing miracles. Do you think they stopped for a minute and took all the credit? Nope. Otherwise, they would have only done one miracle. They would have been done. Because God doesn't share his glory with anybody. When we start to take center stage, God will gradually leave the building. In fact, I'm going to make a little bit of a prophetic thing. This last couple of years showed us that we really should get to the basics of being the church and not just going to church. Because what does what well, what good does it do us to go to church if we're not the church in action? And besides all that, you know, the Bible's talking about Jesus coming back for a bride without spot or without wrinkle. We know that that's not possible down here where we're living in flesh and blood, but that'll happen in the rapture of the church. And so he's coming back for this wonderful, spotless church. And he's leaving all the buildings that we put millions and millions of dollars into, that we pay millions of tax dollars a year. Oh, because we become a corporation and some of us have lost our 501c3s and we're not a non-profit anymore because the government caught on that we were making a big profit. You know what's really funny? About all of that, you know what one of the biggest nonprofits in the entire world is that have a five hundred one c three. That's what the IRS calls a nonprofit status, to where you can give tax deductions to anybody that buys um, or anybody that gives you some money for services provided, weddings, funerals, um, services provided in a meeting, to where you're being preached to. You know what the largest one in the whole entire world is? The NFL. The National Football League. Now wait, I, I'm, not, I'm not making this stuff up. You can go look it up on Google, you can do anything you want. How did they get that? I have no idea. It's supposed to be for religious services. This is a, a country founded on the freedom of religion. And so religion is a protected thing in this country. It was in the beginning, with the Constitution being set up the way that it was. Giving tax breaks, giving you know, non-profit status to them. You know, because they're a charitable organization. They used to be, they used to pour money into society and people on the down and outs and help them back up and in. And so, it, I was so appalled. I felt like tearing up the 501c3 that we have for our own ministry. I was just like, are you kidding me? I'm in the same status as the NFL? Oh my gosh. And they, they're smart. They played the system, the system let them. That shows you how much more religious-like the corporate America has become and how less spiritual the body of Christ has become. The church organizations that have to maintain their branding You'll die on that hill if you try to do anything or if you bring any kind of a, a scandal to that organization. They could care less about your soul being saved at that point in time. But if you fell from grace, they will castigate you, and they will distance themselves, they will put yards between you and them. And they'll even make up stuff like they never, they never uh, had any idea that you were, just d- right under their own nose and you're just being human, and you just made a mistake. And so l- unless I digress anymore, we need to understand some of these things, that it's about us, people, that Jesus died for. It's about us, people, working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That's a subject I need to get to soon, because there seems to be no fear of God in the church or in the world. No fear of God, because people are doing things that... When I look at it, I go, there's no fear of God. They're not afraid of God. They don't have a healthy dread of displeasing him. They're not concerned about what God thinks about that because they're going ahead and signing off on all kinds of provisions in some of our legislature providing for perversions to take place and things like this. Oh, yeah. And I'm not going to say any more about that. You all know what I'm talking about. And the thing is, is that Where's the fear of God in that? Hmm. Where's the fear of God? The old, old, talk about old school or original gangster. God in the Old Testament, original gangster. I mean, he didn't tolerate stuff. Um, he purged a lot of things. You see, you won't get caught in the purge if you purge yourself of what you need to. I'm just saying now, I mean, I repent every single day for things that I messed up. I said wrong. I I did. I thought. You know. I I acted. I entertained. You know. Something too long. I I repent because I fear God. And every day, I repent, which means to change your mind and go a different direction. To change your thinking. To change your perspective and go a different direction. Mm. You see. Jesus in us becomes the only visible thing. When we get our ego and our id out of the way, we do that purposely, premeditatively. This is like John said, "I've got to decrease. I got to decrease for him to increase." And it doesn't mean we need more of God. God's almighty. God's omnipresent. He's everywhere. It's, I mean. You never run short on Him. You're not going to run out of the God and His presence. Mm -mm. What does it mean? It means that we are not as aware of Him as we are. We are not as interactive with Him as we should be. And we need to be on track with Him. And so what John the Baptist said in the Gospel of John the disciple in chapter 3 and verse 30 that he must decrease that Jesus may increase. Why are we still allowing culture to dictate our Christianity in the 21st century? Why are we still shaping our culture, I mean our, our culture in church, to the culture of the world? Why are we doing what it takes to grasp people's attentions by the same methods and means that the world does? I'll tell you something. Remember in churches when they had for youth meetings, it was mostly youth meetings. Sometimes they did it with adults in the evening services, never in the daytime, because there's dignified people that come in the daytime to church. Everybody knows that. But they used they can cut their, you know, they can cut the, you know, cut it loose and let their hair down, they can go wild and jump up and down like kangaroos and dance. And they would bring in pyrotechs to have light shows and, and smoke machines going and stuff like this. And it's like, wow, we had an encounter. God showed up. You know what that is? <laughs> You're gonna hate this. It's straight out of the book of Chronicles, first and second chronicles, in the dedication of the temple, when they built the temple and they just, they dedicated it, and the priests came in there and they started. You know, worshiping God, praying, praying and, and singing and worshiping God, that the glory of God lit the place up like fire, and nobody could stand in the presence of it, and they all fell down under the presence of God. And it shook the walls like an earthquake. I mean, you want some manifestation of, of pyrotech? You see, the reason we wheel it in in containers these days is because people have lost the simplistic art of creating the environment that God is pleased to move in, that God is pleased to show himself in, which has to be charged with faith. It's impossible to please him without faith. And so in our worship and our praise, I mean, instead of singing songs about God, how about we sing songs to God? Or mix a little bit, we can sing about him as well because that's praising, but worship songs are worshiping him, The one we're singing to. And that's what they did in the Old Testament. And he broke loose. And they saw signs, wonders, miracles. People got healed right while they're laying down flat on the floor. And so what we need to understand that this big clue that John gave us is clear. The only way to avoid a downfall in the 21st century of the church becoming crippled or inept or impotent. The only way to avoid that is to ensure that no person is in such a lofty position that seat is reserved only for Jesus always. You see, I I have people that send me things all the time. I got something just today. I got on the phone with somebody just today up in Alaska. I'm not gonna get into what I was talking to him about, but he goes to a great big huge mega church and they got, you know, he was going over all these things. He's having a, a moment of angst. He's a missionary. He's going to go into Indonesia in September. He and his wife, they're in their 60s. And the church is trying to control him without, without putting a dime into him. He's going on his own ticket. And yet he's being warned not to ask people to, to, to pray about uh, supporting them when they go to Indonesia. Because um, he's going there. And you can't go there with a work visa. They're not going to hire you. You're not going to go work there and support yourself there. Um, and the church proclaims that it has people everywhere that are bringing the gospel to all the four corners of the earth. And yet when it comes right down to it, they don't even have a missions department. They have no missionaries out in the field. They just They just make the people that go on their own dime... Answer to them and they tell them that they have to come under that umbrella. Oh, wow. Wow, must be a great umbrella. I have I've had good umbrellas in my life, you know, automatic pop up and closure, wonderful. But they have to come under that umbrella. Not to get any money, cuz they're not this, this church won't give you a dime. And I said break ties with them. That's all I said. That's all I told them. Just bre- forget it. Break ties with them. They're not acting like the church, that's not the way the church is. The church is a body, a living organism. That's like saying to your right hand, I'm gonna put a tourniquet on you and squeeze you down so much that you fall off because I'm gonna cut the circulation off of you. My gosh, that's how they treat, it because the denomination, you know, they don't want to um, risk Sending people or putting people out there, but if the people get stirred up in their hearts uh, Their heart of hearts and they want to go 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 But you got to answer to us and you can only go and and do and only tell people that we want you to tell About you going but you can't fleece our sheep. You don't dare skin our sheep Don't don't see once again, you know the church not being the church the church is playing games Because those sheep don't belong to anybody but Jesus. Anyway, I'm done with that subject. You see, all the time I'm hearing stories, and you are hearing stories of scandals, about people quitting, about people in leadership, you know, turning their back on the body of Christ, but mainly it's the church, you know, but you think it's Christianity, and sometimes it is, you know, they just don't want Christianity, but what brand of Christianity do they have? Ooh, maybe you just don't want that brand, and I don't blame you, I don't want that brand either, but they don't know any other brands. They just think that all because their only experience was inside that bubble, right inside that dome, inside that bubble. They think that they got to have that brand of spiritual Christianity, <laughs> and they warn you about going outside of that. You won't be, you won't be covered, you won't be sanctified, you won't be anointed, you won't be this or that. You won't be Jack. Well, that's great because Jesus takes people. That ain't got nothing. They, they ain't jack. And he does something with them. And that's what we're going to see more and more of. But with every meltdown and downfall and disruption, we continue to ignore John's wisdom as it truly applies to us here. Because faith is an all-consuming um, attitude of heart. that It consumes everything inside of you. And faith isn't just a people group or the people of faith, quote unquote. Faith is life from now on. And faith is trust in God. And faith is trust to the point of doing God. In other words, you know, when people ask me, How well do I know God? I tell them this readily because I preach this and I believe this. I only know God as much as I'm doing God. In other words, watch me. Just watch me for a while, and that's how much I know God. And I'm learning to know Him more and more all the time. And you keep watching me, you'll see me doing more and more different and wonderful expressions of Him as I continue growing in my knowledge of Him. So faith is allowing ourselves to be diminished, and we got to do that by faith, because we have an ego and an id that screams for attention, dies for attention, like an addict looking for the next needle. So that Jesus can increase like never before, we've got, we have got to get out of the way. And getting out of the way is a form of death, it really is. But the Bible says that we have already died in Christ and been raised again from the dead, and the only way that I'm alive and expressing myself right now is by the faith in the Son of God, Galatians 2:20. And so, if I've already died, well, then what am I? What, what am I reviving myself for? What am I? What do I keep bringing myself back? You know, to make sure that people don't miss me, um, overlook me, uh, disrespect me. Why does that matter? Jesus it says. In Philippians chapter two, he made himself of no reputation. In other words, he wasn't looking to, to, to put his name in lights. He made himself of no reputation, why? Because he wasn't here for himself. He was here for the Father. But you could say, well, Jesus is God, he deserved it. He was here because the Father sent him. He wasn't here making a name for himself, he wasn't here trying to gather people to himself. People came, people followed him, he's called some disciples. But it was all about the Father. So, we need we need to take our acts of faith all the way to completion. If we're going to live a life well, we've got to take our acts of faith to their completion. And a lifetime is a series of those acts of faith that have been brought to a completion. And there's times when you have setbacks, there's times when you have no progress, and there's, you know, there, there should be, Fewer and farther between as you grow older in Christ. And so, we find that the, the point that I'm trying to get across to us here about diminishment and increase, the point, it truly morphs into the point of all faith acts are ultimately epitomized in God. That's the epitome of all faith acts. It gets us closer to God, okay? If you're believing God for finances, okay, God is the God of supply and finances, okay? And we're using our faith to have God give us breakthrough in finances. Well, what is that breakthrough? It's a piece of God. It's a manifestation of God's presence because He is the, 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 the supplier or He is the provider, or He is the caretaker of our lives. And if we get healed, well, He is our health. He is our strength. He is our well-being. And so when you get the manifestation of the healing you've been standing in faith for, that manifestation is God. God manifested Himself in your body, and that sickness went bye-bye. That pain stopped because of the manifestation of God. That lack stopped because of the manifestation of God. That poverty stopped because of the manifestation of God. That door opened because of the favor of God. That person in the relationship was restored because of the love of God. Because it all points back to God. So to God be the glory and honor and praise. In fact, what we have found to be the truth in any and all water walking is to get out of God's way and then simply watch what happens next. Sure, this can be unproductive in our feelings. (laughs) But we need to deaden those things. But it's very productive to our spirit because our spirits, when we just have nothing but God, our spirits are enthralled in excitement because Who knows what's next? (laughs) And so, many times when we don't see an immediate result, maybe we should check and see what we can do differently to get out of his way. Because that's most likely the problem. A lot of times we waste time on the enemy because he's eternally defeated already. And we start rebuking the hell out of Satan, but Satan isn't even there. That's just you, Mac. Get out of God's way. (laughs) And so, (laughs) we find out that Moses, Abraham first, Moses, Joseph, David, Jesus, John, and the Apostle Paul all found out along their journeys, our part is small and simple. Just obey God, put actions to that obedience, do not doubt, and get out of the way. Did you hear that? Just that simple just obey God, (laughs) put action to that obedience, don't doubt, in other words, if doubt comes, don't question it, don't doubt, and get out of the way. And not only will we get what what we're watching for, not only will we get it and it'll happen, we will have secured our participation in what is absolutely about to happen before it happened. Because God wants us to participate with Him. He wants us to get in rhythm with Him. As much as life seems to be like a movie, in that way of struggling and coming from like way back, you know, behind, coming from impoverished situations or unfavorable circumstances or debilitating um, life-threatening diseases, all the way to where you're vibrant and healthy again. We aren't in a movie. We're in real life. And because we aren't actors in some in some Oscar-worthy performance piece, the newsflash here is that we don't need a handsome main character, like me. Kidding. <laughs> um, or preferably good-looking and muscular to lead the megachurch. And we don't need a beautiful damsel on social media getting as many followers as she can. And we don't need the latest pyrotechs and laser displays. And we don't need attractive faces on the posters to promote the story we are are telling. And we don't need a sprinkling of diversity in there to appease the Black Lives Matter and everybody every other movement and you know, things that come along. And I'm not diminishing the movement. It's important that we treat everybody the same. All were created equal. And so But to make that the point, we're missing the point. (laughs) So, the exposing of pastors, megachurches and people we have allowed to believe that they walk on water and they are the chosen few to bridge the gap between fame and God, that's nothing new. We've grieved many prominent gospel people over the decades who ran the same game. And even though it saddens all of us to see it happen, it will happen again and again and again as long as the people who are proclaiming Jesus make that fatal decision to keep themselves front and center in the position that belongs to Jesus alone. We will see this same thing grow more and more. But listen, here's the thing. What happens next doesn't, in the life of faith, doesn't have to be world-dominating, virally viewed, or larger than our capacity to contain and maintain, the good news is that when we are unwilling to throw in the towel, when we are stepping out in faith even when we can't see a way to success, when we are more sure about the truth of God's word than our own abilities, when we are uncompromising when it comes to popular opinions or social norms, in other words, when we are living a life hidden within Christ Jesus, what happens next is nothing less than the miraculous. And every day thereafter, every day thereafter, every single day for the rest of our lives thereafter, the time is now for the people of God to refuse to see things as the world sees them, refuse to get caught up in the hype and the eye candy, refuse to get caught up in what the next thing is going to be and get busy doing what God has for us to do today with Jesus in us, showing us the rest. It's just that simple and it's just that powerful at the same time. So that's what's what's coming next. Thank you for tuning in. Love you all and be blessed.